Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. Romans 1, 1 through 17. And this is God's word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Paul is writing to the capital of the empire in order to address people who are his brothers and sisters. They are his brothers and sisters because of what Jesus has done. He hasn't met them. 
He hasn't been to Rome. He's a Roman citizen. He's very happy about his Roman citizenship. It has made a huge difference for him on more than one occasion. But he hasn't been to Rome. And here he's writing to these folks saying, I want you to know that I've longed to come to see you. Paul wanted to go to Rome. But things don't always work out the way we want. God rules and overrules, and there are times, for instance, when Paul is writing to the folks in Thessalonica, that he says, I was going to come and Satan prevented me. Well, that sounds like a bad confession, Paul. Why would you give the devil credit for blocking you from going? He says, well, because that's what happened. You and I are in a fallen world, and we are in a position of warfare. We talked about that a couple of Sundays ago. There is warfare going on. There is opposition. And sometimes God blocks us directly. And sometimes God allows the enemy to block something. And we can get all bent out of shape about it or we can just be honest about it like God inspired the Apostle Paul to remain. And he says, I want you to know I've I've really longed to come to see you. I wanted us to encourage each other I was wanting to impart to you some spiritual gift, but he says, I haven't been able to come, so I'm writing this letter. And what Paul writes is not typical of his other letters. Usually, he's addressing problems and that kind of thing. Here, he does a theological treatise. This is a marvelous, systematic presentation of the gospel. And where he's going in this letter is laid out in the closing verses of the part we just read. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, depending on which translation of the Bible you're looking at right now, it may have said in your translation, and I mean most of the translations out there, what is actually quite accurate, and that is the righteousness of God. A righteousness from God, it's translated here, the righteousness of God. It's translated in most translations. King James, ESV, NAS. Most of those translations get it like that. Even the new NIV gets it like that. Oh, Pastor, what are you telling us? Our Bibles are wrong? No, your Bibles are right. Oh, so you read, you read it wrong. No, this Bible is right. Well, which is it? It's actually both. The wording in the Greek conveys both meanings. And I read you this one on purpose because I believe that as you read the whole of Paul's letter to the Romans, you'll see that the aspect of God's righteousness, which he will be writing about as he explains the gospel, is how God, who is righteous, worked in righteousness to make us righteous. You get that? 
So it is the righteousness of God. That is correct. But it is also the righteous way in which God makes us righteous. It is the righteousness that comes from God. Otherwise, if God's just righteous and we're not, that's a sad ending. We're not going to be with him forever. But the amazing truth of the gospel, and this is what the whole book is about, the gospel, the amazing truth of the gospel is that this righteous God loves sinners so much that he provided the means whereby unrighteous us become righteous in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's why it's called good news, which is what the word gospel means. God saves sinners. He saves people like us. That's good news. And it's good news we can share. Because you will never encounter anybody who is so bad that, well, God can't save them. Paul was a persecutor of Christians, hounding them to death. He hated Jesus. And God saved him. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, the reason God saved me is to show that if he can save me, he can save anybody. And that's the truth. Notice what Paul says here. This is God, by the way, who's speaking. He says that God promised this gospel beforehand. He says, I was set apart, verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel, verse 2, that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, this is not something new God came up with. This is the plan all along. The Old Testament is pointing the whole time to Jesus. And it's regarding his son, the gospel's all about him, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by the resurrection of the dead. Through the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord was shown to be exactly who he is, the son of God. Do you remember why they said they wanted to crucify him? The charge against him was blasphemy because he claimed to be the Son of God. And then it turns out, he is. He is the Son of God. How amazing. Well, guess what? And this is absolutely true. Because of Jesus, part of the gospel is that God wants you and me to become his children also. Are you serious? The thing that they killed Jesus for claiming to be the Son of God, God says, I want you to be in the family. I want you to be in the family. Oh, well, no, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was sinless. Correct. I mean, he, he, I mean, he was perfect. Correct. So, I mean, I've, I've blown it. I, I can, the gospel is all about how God takes away our sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And all the riches 
of God, which belong to Jesus, are shared with us. Oh, how many of us is it divided among? It's okay. His riches are infinite. They're limitless. There's no end. It's not like, wait a minute, how how many ways have I got to cut this pizza? It is an endless pizza. (laughs) It just keeps coming. There's just no end to it. It's it's not like we're going to run out or get a little short. Well, I can't have as much because that person's now joined the kingdom. No. God's riches are not just abundant. They are infinite. And all of that becomes ours in Christ Jesus. Do you know when, when the blood of Jesus Christ washes away your sin, there's no stain left? I don't mean you're improved. I mean God looks at us and he sees us spotless. Not because we're pretending we've never done anything. We are confessing that we are entirely dependent upon His grace. And the reason is because we are entirely dependent upon His grace. But when we believe that, it makes a difference. Verse 5, Through Him and for His namesake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles, here's the key phrase, to the obedience that comes from faith. If you really believe this, you don't just keep on doing the stuff you used to do. If you really believe this, it changes the way you live. Because God not only forgives you, but He comes to live in you and through you, and as a result, you become more and more and more and more and more like Jesus, who is the exact representation of the Father's glory. Okay? So in other words, we start to resemble our Father. When we adopted our kids from Ukraine, the oldest of the three, before we ever met him, the folks over there after we had said we were going to adopt them, they sent us some pictures. We'd never seen pictures of them. Okay? We loved them before we saw pictures. And, and when we got the pictures, I looked, and the oldest one of the three looked just like my boyhood pictures. I mean, it really, I mean, it was like if you took pictures of him as a kid and pictures of me as a kid and jumbled them up, you'd have a hard time sorting out which was which. And so he got here. And we started going places, and people who didn't know me at all, I mean, like stopping in Cleveland, Tennessee at a gas station to fill up the car. We go inside for me to pay. These people don't know me. They don't know my son. They don't know that he's adopted. But the resemblance is so striking that this person behind the counter, as she's ringing us up, says, wow, I've never seen a father and son who look so much alike. And Stephen, who was just learning English, understood. And he was pleased. And I was too. I was too. We went to Atlanta, and a friend who did know me, and who did know that he was adopted, said, goodness, it looks like you spit him right out of your mouth. 
I'd never heard the spitting image described in that way before, but I guess that's what it means. <laughs> Stephen was a little puzzled by that expression. But here's the thing. When you and I are born again, God doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just wash away our stains. He comes to live inside of us, and we start being changed by him from the inside out so that we walk more and more and more and more and more and more and more in obedience. And we are being conformed to his likeness. And that's his promise. And it says one day, it says, behold, this is in 1 John, behold, this love the Father has shown us, that we should be called his children. And that is what we are. And it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, we'll be like him. Because God's the one who's doing it. I am so glad that I'm not as I once was, but I'm also really, really glad that I am not yet what I will be. Not that I wouldn't like to have already arrived, but I'm not going to arrive until I see him face to face. And so I'm glad it's going to get better because there are some things about me that still are not like they should be. Okay? But, but the wonderful thing is when God looks at me, he doesn't see me in terms of stains on a shirt. He sees me robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees me in terms of Jesus. And Jesus looks good. Real good. The Father said of him, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so when I am in Christ, you know what he thinks of me? He thinks I'm perfect. Because of Jesus. Okay? Have you ever gone to dinner with somebody who had a lot more money than you? And they said, I want a treat tonight. And you think, that's wonderful. I'm going to let them order first so I know what I can get. Okay? And so they order this, and you think, wow, I'd like that. Yeah, okay, how much was that? So I can have anything that costs that much or less. I think I'm just going to get what they're getting. Okay? And so you, you, you order it too, and you have zero anxiety about the bill. Okay? You know what? I've got zero anxiety about the bill with God. Jesus has already paid it. And he has promised he's going to take care of the whole thing from here on. Hallelujah. So does that mean I just want to keep sinning that grace may abound? God forbid that's in this book. Okay? It's in the letter to the Romans. We're going to get there. But I want you to see, this is really, 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 really good news. I mean, it is... It is the best news in the history of the universe that God not only loves sinners enough to send Jesus, but he sent Jesus not only so that we would be forgiven, but so that we would be transformed into his likeness. And therefore, those who are in Christ Jesus are going to be with him in perfect peace, perfect joy, and perfect righteousness forever. Forever. Imagine if when we died and we were invited into heaven, God says, okay, now look, when you were on earth, I overlooked a lot of things, okay? I'm going to give you 30 days in heaven, and if you can 
not sin for 30 days, then you get to stay, okay? Because I'll figure at that point, okay, they've improved enough. But if you mess up in the first 30 days, you're, you're out of here. I, I think I would say, well, I might as well go ahead and leave. <laughs> but that isn't the way it works. A friend of mine, Sandy Wilson, said, uh, in heaven, we'll be able to do anything we want all the time. I thought, is that, is that right? And I thought, yeah. That is exactly right. Because you know what we're going to want to do all the time? Please the Lord. In heaven, we're not going to be saying, ooh, that looks really tempting, but I better not. Okay? That's not allowed up here. No. Temptation will be gone. Our old sin nature will be gone. The flesh, as we know it in this life, will be gone. We'll have a new heaven, new earth, in which righteousness dwells, and there will be no more sin in us. We will be delivered not only from the penalty of sin, which we experience in this life, Jesus has already taken care of that. The penalty has been removed. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the penalty is already gone. We will be delivered from the power of sin, which we experience increasingly in this life as we grow in sanctification. We discover, as we'll learn in this letter, that you can consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ and stop yielding yourself, your body, as, as instruments for sin Instead, yield yourself fully, daily, to the righteousness of God, doing what he says. So I am already, if I remember it, free from the power of sin. I don't have to keep sinning anymore. I'm going to tell you this. This is true, and it might scare some of you. Fact of the matter is, if I sin anymore between now and the time I die, it's totally my fault. Before I was saved, it was still my fault, but... Everybody ought to understand because I was powerless to resist. Now, I'm not powerless to resist. Now, God the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and when I don't do the right thing, it's not because God didn't give me the power to do the right thing. But when we see him face to face, we will not only be free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, we will be free from the presence of sin. There won't be any more sin. People in heaven are not resisting temptation. They are joyfully worshiping the Lord and doing His will. Hallelujah. That's really good news. So, Paul writes to these folks, and he says, it's all about the gospel, and the gospel's all about Jesus. And in verse 16 and 17, we're going to look at it again. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In order to receive, you've got to believe. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Paul's going to deal with that in this letter. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God or the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous 
will live by faith. Folks, God has entrusted us with this good news. And we now have the responsibility of sharing the good news with others. That's what we celebrate. We're not here hoping that we can do enough to get God to love us. We are here celebrating the love of God, the amazing grace of God, the fact that when we were dead in trespasses and sins, He made us alive in Christ Jesus. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.